Welcome to my podcast, Nazreen Abdullah. Welcome. A little bit about you. You're 33. You're a copywriter. You're married with two children and uh, you were born and raised in Dubai where you're still living and working with your family. Your parents are both originally from India, Uh but you were born in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. For you, Dubai is home. Yes, Dubai is home. Dubai is the only home I've known. Let's start at the beginning. And for me, that story starts with your father. Your father's life started in Kerala. Yes. My dad is the one who first came to the UAE. We're from the southern Indian state called Kerala. And when oil was discovered in the Gulf region, a lot of people from Kerala, they came here because before the dirham was used, it was Indian rupees that was used here. It was a couple from Kerala who first came here and taught His Highness Sheikh Mohammed English and the entire royal family. And uh, they are the ones who then went on to found the first Indian school in UAE. And that is the school I went to. And Is it so, still around? Yes, it's, it still is. It is the oldest school in the UAE. And they are the operators of uh, about 80, 85% of schools in, in the country. So it all started from a couple who came to teach Sheikh Mohammed and his brothers English. Indians came to the United Arab Emirates and taught the Emirati royal family English. Brilliant. (laughs) Yes. And when are we Uh, talking? So this, this is, we're talking about the 60s. My father came here in 1977. Alone? So he... Alone. And what sort of age was he? Was he a young man looking for opportunity? He was probably 17. Oh, wow. He was really young. Yeah. So uh, my dad is the youngest of uh, six children. And in 1976, his father died. So at that point, he was studying in college and probably having a little too much fun. (laughs) Uh, So my father had an elder brother who was 13 years older than him. He and my grandmother, they decided that, you know, my dad needs to do something with his life because my grandfather was the one who placed a lot of importance on education. Because he died, they didn't see it was important for him to get an education. They just thought it would be a good idea to ship him to the UAE. Most people come here looking for a job. My dad came here with a job in hand. He had connections. Yeah, my uncle, my dad's older brother, his brother-in-law, his wife's brother, he was a board member. It was a local run company. And uh, because he was a board member, he was able to arrange for jobs for a lot of people from my dad's hometown. And when his brother-in-law said, oh, I want a job for my brother, it was quite natural for him to arrange for a job for my dad. From 1977 to, to today, My dad is in the same company and he does a similar kind of job profile. And what what was his job? Was that in line with what he'd been studying? Yes. He came as an accountant. So so that's how my dad came here. And my dad was one of the very first people to come here on an aeroplane. Everyone else came on a ship. It it was called a launch. Hundreds of people died on the way. So, you know, only like half the people who started would, would actually reach here. Wow. 
How long would it take someone on a ship then from India, from where would they travel from? Probably from Mumbai. So Mumbai to... It's a port city. Yeah. Yeah, to Mumbai to Dubai. Dubai. How long would that take? At least a month. It, this wasn't legal. Mostly it was illegal and people were crammed into a ship. It would probably be a cargo ship. It wasn't necessarily meant for human Humans. inhabitation. So most people came on a ship, but my dad, because, you know, he was from a fairly okay to do family. His brother already had a job. It must have been quite a culture shock relocating from Kerala to Dubai. Obviously, Dubai back in the 70s was not the Dubai we know today, obviously, but there must have been still quite a culture shock. He's 17, gets to travel via aircraft, which was not a common occurrence, new country. Does he ever talk about it? Does he ever discuss how he felt about that? No, he. I don't. I don't think he's ever told me. But all I know is that he was really, really attached to his mother. In India, generally, there is a preference for the male for the sons. Uh, and my grandmother, uh, she had my uncle, and then she had four daughters, and then my father. So my grandmother was really attached to my father. So it was like a huge change for him. I don't know. I, I have a feeling that it may also be the reason why my uncle decided to send him here. <laughs> he was the golden boy. He was getting too much attention. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he thought my grandmother would just spoil him too much. It wasn't necessarily completely unfamiliar because there were a lot of people from Kerala from his town over here and in his company. So he basically rented out a, a room with, I don't know, 10 others. And so there were 10 men, all from the same place, speaking the same language, living together. But so what there's I a certain know, amount of security in that, isn't there? Yes. Just, yeah. just knowing that, you know, he wasn't completely out on his own. I do know that two years later, when my uncle, then he migrated to Dubai. And when he came here... And when my dad saw him for the first time, he burst into tears. And my uncle was so depressed by that. He booked my dad on the next flight home so that he could go and see his mother. Oh, I wonder what that reunion was like. So he'd been away f from home. For, he wasn't even 20 almost. then or just about 20. Yeah, just about 20. So he'd been here for almost two and a half years. What about the language? Uh, most of the managers over here were at that time, mostly, I, I would think, from the UK. And they spoke English. Uh, so he has spoken about the times when he had trouble understanding. Like he had an Irish manager. And he... <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> he speaks about not understanding a single thing this guy spoke. When does your mother come into the picture? How do your parents meet? She was in Kerala. She was uh, Kerala born bred. But her background was very different because her family placed a lot of importance on education. So she was like, you know, educated. But how this marriage proposal came about is my mother's sister was in Dubai. Her husband worked in the same company. You know, and they, they were also from the same place that my dad is. And well, you know, one thing led to another, common friends, family. And that's how my mom's proposal comes for my dad. And my dad was someone who said, I want to marry someone to whose house I can walk from my house. And <laughs> So convenience. 
<laughs> yes. But as it happened, my mom's house is seven hours away by train from my dad's house. Oh my God. <laughs> and is that unusual from Kerala and that culture for a woman to be so educated? Kerala, traditionally, it has always given a lot of importance to women. We've always had women writers, women leaders. Compared to rest of India, it has always been very forward thinking. It used to be the only place in India where there was a higher ratio of females than males. Whereas the rest of India, it has a high rate of yeah. gender inequality. Yeah. So Kerala has, in that respect, it's always been different. Girls have always been educated. Not, not just girls, but Kerala had a list, has a literacy rate of 99%. Everyone is educated. We, we have um, a communist government. So they made education really cheap. And that's why everyone studied. Everyone in Kerala studies. They go to college. Every single person. So your mother, tell us a little bit about her background. Uh, she had done her degree. So my grandfather was one of those really progressive uh, men. He was a lawyer and uh, he wanted all his children to be educated. So my mother, she had finished her bachelor's in uh, home science, I think. And that's when she got married to my father. And that would make sense. They're both very educated. Education mm -hmm. is important to them. It's a priority. And, mm -hmm. and so it was for their only daughter. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it was not a priority. It was the priority. Yeah. Uh, were they, were they so, quite strict? Yes. My mum, her life revolved around me because I was the only child. If I had a sibling, I think it would have taken the heat off a little bit. But were they specific in what they wanted you to do? Did they have a career in mind? They left it completely up to me. It is not common in Indian families to have that kind of choice. Most people have a very predetermined path sure. that their parents will tell them to follow. Yeah. My mum always... Well, she always told me, it would be nice if you went into writing because that's something you can do at home and you can sit at home and take care of your kids. <laughs> She's practical. For... you got to give her that. She's practical. <laughs> yeah, so for her, the priority was always the family. And that's the kind of thought that she drilled into my head as well. Like, you can work if you want to. You don't need to work if you don't want to. But your family should come first. Okay, so your parents have an arranged marriage. What happens then? As soon as she got married, she came here, probably, I think, um, 1986, January, February, she came to Dubai. And again, that was not very common because a lot of men, what they do is they have their wives back home and they just see each other once a year. Uh, but uh, my... Sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting because... I've spoken to a lot of people that I that I work with in particular and knew in uh, Dubai, Indian men that have their wives and families back home. And I just think that must be incredibly difficult. I'm not sure because I would think it, it was incredibly difficult. And I can't imagine my parents actually staying separate. But a lot of people do it and many of them do it by choice is this for economic reasons yes mostly for economic reasons because um, a family living in dubai versus a family living in 
Kerala, that's a lot of uh, difference in the money spent and saved. And some people even do it because their parents are old and there's no one else to look after them. So the wife stays with the parents. There are multiple reasons. It is something I find hard to wrap my head around. Yeah, out of necessity. Okay, back to your parents. Yes. So they got married in India. They got married 85 December. And in 87 May, I was born. You obviously were aware of your parents' story growing up. Did they openly discuss it? Is it a source of pride? How is it looked at? No, it wasn't openly discussed. As I grew older, once I got married, my mom spoke about it a lot more in the sense how the proposal came about and so on. Whatever I picked up, I picked up from them joking with each other. Oh, you know, do you remember the first time I saw you? Or do you remember the time we did this? Or, you know, there was a proposal. And my mom and dad both agreed to it without even seeing each other, because that's how things were done. And then after the marriage had been fixed, I think my dad went to see my mom in India. And that was the first time they met. And they got married. So it's from their conversations that I picked up things. And obviously... I was always in their conversation because I'm an only child. You say you were very fortunate. You were the apple of their eye. Going back to language, what languages do you speak? I speak Malayalam, which is uh, the language of Kerala. And my mom was really, really strict. I had to speak Malayalam at home. I could not speak English. I could not even think of conversing in. I mean, I could talk to them in English. But I had to speak in Malayalam at home. I had to learn how to read and write the language. But if you ask me which language am I more comfortable using, in the sincere hope that my mom doesn't listen to this, it's English. (laughs) (laughs) I won't tell her, don't worry. And you were learning English at school. Yes. So, you know, when, when you study in an English syllabus school, you start to think in English. Like When I'm thinking, I think in English. I don't think in Malayalam. But uh, I have a good grasp of the Malayalam language because for my mom, it was extremely important that I learn the language. I'm in touch with the culture. And basically, you know, I'm I am in touch with my roots. I was going to ask you that. How strong was your connection growing up with your parents' roots in Kerala? D- did you visit? Were you very familiar with Kerala life and Kerala family and your roots there? Yeah, we visited every year. I mean, it was important for my parents. And I spent about roughly one and a half, two months, pretty much my entire summer vacation was in Kerala. And I knew not just my immediate first cousins. There was this time when we all fell ill with conjunctivitis. Basically, at that time, you can't do anything. You can't read. You can't watch TV. It took about two weeks. The entire two weeks, we spent just talking about my parents and their you know stories back home i think that was one period when i understood literally every relationship like every first cousin every second cousin <laughs> and i can't believe that it was conjunctivitis that brought you all together and introduced you to your carolyn roots do you speak arabic unfortunately i'm not fluent with it but i did arabic at school by the time I reached college, I didn't know anything except probably a basic few words. 
but in, in college and now I keep doing Arabic lessons. So now if I hear someone speaking, I can probably get a gist of what they're talking about, but I don't speak Arabic as such. When you visit Kerala, does it feel like you belong? Mm, that's an interesting question. Uh, so when I was young, until I was a preteen, I always used to cry when I used to return from India. I had a lot of cousins and I was the youngest. So they pampered me and we used to have a really good time with, with the cousins. And, you know, we used to play table tennis and we had a huge place around the ancestral home where we used to play cricket and we used to have a lot of fun. And I used to cry every single time I returned here. But then my cousins started to go away. They started to get married. Some of them migrated. And then in the ancestral home, it was just me. When we went back, it would just be my grandmother and us. When the fun started to go down, I wasn't so sad, <laughs> sad about coming back. I was just happy. But once I got married, so my husband is from a town called Kochi. Well, when I went there, I really fell in love with the town and its people. When I used to go to Kerala, we never used to go out much. We would always be home. But at my in-laws place, life was really different. We always went out. Even if it was just to the beach, like the beach is really close by. So we'd go to the beach. And once I got married, I, I really fell in love with Kochi. And if you visited that city, you will understand why it's so easy to fall in love with that city. Now, to be honest, I often think about, I, I see myself living there. Do you find it a difficult question when people ask you where you're from? Oh, yeah. Because you okay. have many layers to where you come from and your roots. Yeah. If I'm going somewhere, when, when we were just married, we'd gone on our honeymoon to Switzerland. And people would ask, so where are you from? And I would say, I'm Indian, but I don't come from India. I, I'm coming from Dubai. <laughs> and once, oh, I have to tell you this. Once we were here in Dubai in Knife Souk and um, we were just having tea and next to us the, on a table, there was a family and we just started chatting and they said, oh, we're from South Africa. And so they were originally Indians and who had gone and uh, settled in South Africa. So I told them, oh, yeah, I'm from India as well, but I've lived here all my life. And they asked, so are you a citizen here? I said, no, we just we just live here. And when we don't have our jobs, we have to go back. And they just looked at me with so much confusion and asked, then why do you live here? Well, it it is quite an interesting situation to be in. I do want to touch on that in more detail. We've discussed your relationship with Kerala. Do you feel like you belong in the UAE, especially with that insecurity, instability as regards to citizenship or lack of? In Dubai, uh, do I feel like I belong? I do to an extent because I've lived all my life here. And for someone who's new in Dubai, you see the branches, you see Burj Khalifa. But for me, Dubai is none of those. Dubai is 
my house in a small place in Kisses. For me, Dubai is the Thursday evenings when we would wait for the one Hindi movie that they used to play on Channel 33. It is all the time that I spent with my friends camping out in Safa Park. It is so much more than what a newcomer would see. Every minute of my life, I've spent it here. And there are so many memories in, in the gullies of Dera, in Bardubai, in, in a small tea shop. And um, I'm not sure if you know of this, but um, in Dera, there used to be a place called Kadar Hotel. There were no addresses. So if you had to write a letter, uh, you had to write whatever and Kadar Hotel. And every Friday... All these people would go to Kadar Hotel and there would be a group of Indians, there would be a group of Westerners, there would be a group, you know, whichever country you came from, you'd find a group there and you just hung out there. And then you'd go to Kadar Hotel. Again, Kadar was a guy from Kerala and he set up a small tea shop there. And apparently right next to it, there was a laundry shop. People would get their laundry done there. They'd come and eat over there and they'd just hang out in this place. And that area in Dera is still called Kadar Hotel, even though the hotel shut down probably 10 years ago. And what a shame. Yeah. So, you know, there are all these stories and there's this building right next to Knife Souk where my father stayed. So when he first came here, everyone used to live in villas and apartments were not very common. So when they started building buildings. Apartment blocks. Yes. My father and his friends, they decided, oh, let's be posh. Let us go live in this apartment and see how life is over there. So the 10 of them shifted them. And in those days, apparently the water tanks used to be on the ground floor as opposed to on the top floor where, where it is now. They got an apartment on the second floor. And every morning they had to go down and fetch water in a bucket to their second floor apartment. And that building is still there. And every time I pass it, I think of my dad and the life he's had there. So Dubai is a lot more than the fancy buildings for me. So, yes, I do feel like I belong here. And, you know, to be honest, the kind of education I've had, the kind of life I've had, the kind of upbringing I've had, was only possible because I was in the UAE, because I was in Dubai. If I was in Kerala, I wouldn't have got any of the opportunities in my life that I have. So, yes, I don't have a citizenship here, but this is the place that made me me. It is your home and it's not somewhere that you can possibly spend the rest of your days. You will have to think about moving on at some point. And this is the other thing I, I find quite um, interesting. I think as migrants and as third culture kids, instead of feeling rooted to one place and limiting ourselves to borders, we have been given the ability to look at the world as one big home. Would you agree with that? Because you have roots in two places that are equally as important to you. Exactly. I, I think, you know, I really love Dubai. You know, when I travel and I come back here, I literally feel like, ah, oh, it's just, it's just such a moment when the plane touches down and you just feel like this is where I belong. So there is that feeling. 
And the same feeling is there when I travel back to Kerala as well. You don't need to have one place as your home. And I think even if it wasn't Dubai or even if it wasn't Kerala, if I had to go to a third country, I don't think I would feel completely out of place because you're so used to that notion of not just having one place to return to. I, I think I could easily grow to love another city as well. Absolutely. And I I, th I think you would. And just to explain to anyone that's never heard of the term third culture kid, it's any person who was raised in a culture other than their parents. Now, I believe there are more than 200, correct me if I'm wrong, but 200 nationalities living and working in Dubai. You have a network of friends all over the world, I don't doubt. What are some of the nationalities of your friends and colleagues? Oh, there's so many. Exactly. Okay, so my colleagues, all five are from Syria. I could pretty much give you a, an entire history of Syria right now. Uh, <laughs> one of my uh, best friends from university, she is from Pakistan. My really close friend, she is from Germany. And when I was working at Gulf News, pretty much all my friends were from UK. And um, actually in last year, I mean, the year before last year, when I say last year, I mean 2019, because 2020 is just, it's just not there. Yeah, I think we all feel like that. <laughs> Scrub that one from the calendar. Anyway, in 2019, I traveled to London. It was a, a trip that we had planned for a really long time. So we took out. You say we, who, who are you talking, you, your husband and your children? Kids and my parents. Fantastic. So, yeah. Um, and th it's not the first time we've traveled together. Most of our travels, we do it together. And my dad and I are the ones who plan everything and the others just follow. So we went to London and for the first time in my life, I just realized what amazing friends I have because the entire time that I was in the UK, I just kept going from one friend to another. And I believe it was one of the best holidays anyone could wish for because from central London I caught up with a couple of my friends who studied with me and then I went down south to Exeter where I caught up with my colleague Christine and another colleague uh, Fiaza. We spent about six days there and I saw so many places which I don't think I would have seen without my friends. So many places that just the people who live there know it wasn't necessarily you know a tourist spot but you know those were such amazing places and it's from the there best way to... isn't it to see yeah. countries is through the eyes of your friends that live there or that are from there exactly and I mean I cannot describe in words how beautiful it was because not just the fact that we got to experience uh, it so well but also in the evenings, my friends would come over and Fiaza has uh, two kids who are now my kids' age. And the three of them just hung out and just had so much fun together. And we were, we were in, the, in the kitchen sipping coffee, talking about old times. And at that time, when I was, you know, sitting with them, I was thinking, if we hadn't been in Dubai, I cannot imagine this entire trip, this sitting here, and people like Fiaz and Christine, they are, they're people I, even though we're in two different parts, even though it's a lockdown, 
we're in contact every day. We know what is happening in each other's lives. And that kind of friendship, you only form in Dubai because, I, I don't know, it's just a Dubai thing. It's not just having friends, but maintaining that relationship. I always say to my husband, if we wanted to have a party, throw a party and invite all our favourite people and have all our favourite people around us, it just wouldn't be possible. It is unlikely that we don't be able to get them all in one place at the same time because they are scattered across the globe. But I do have this fantasy of one day bringing everyone together. It's never going to happen, sadly, but I would absolutely love that. Now, you have this network of friends all over the world. How do you think that affects how you see the world? Does it make you feel connected to maybe countries that you've never been to? Definitely. When my friends from Germany, they talk about how things are there. And, you know, you you just feel a sort of connection to that place. Another friend of mine from uni- university, she was from Malawi. I had only heard of Malawi before I met her. But through her, I learned about life in Malawi. I learned about so many things. Again, Syria, all you hear about, about Syria in the news is just such horrible news. But I, I've actually attended a Syrian wedding. Like if you give me a Syrian dessert, I can tell you if it's good or not. <laughs> It gives you a unique insight. And one of my favorite discussions that I have, or when I first met friends and colleagues from around the world, is food. I'm always fascinated about what what people eat and what they love, because for me, it's one of my favorite things, food and eating, but also experiencing other people's culture. And it's food is such a great way into other people's cultures absolutely and in dubai i mean you you've lived here so you know how you get every kind of food that and it's not just a hashed version of that food you get authentic things over here in dubai and i feel like it's such a great place to meet and understand other people's cultures and i think it's probably because i grew up in dubai for me understanding other people's cultures it just comes naturally it's just it's just such a second nature for you to be sitting and eating with someone who is i don't know from russia from various corners of the world yeah i remember going to my local pharmacy there were two iraqi brothers that owned and ran it and one day when i popped into the pharmacy i got chatting to one of the iraqi brothers And he noticed on my key ring, I have a a silver metal fish that my husband had uh, given me. It's got both our names on it from when we first met. And he said, you like fish? And I said, absolutely. I, I, I dive, but I actually fish and I like eating fish. And he said, good, you must try mazgouf. And he told me it's a special way in Iraqi cuisine that they cook fish over hot coals. And I went, I found a restaurant that was highly rated, very local. We were the only British people in the restaurant. I went with Russian friends and we went and ate mazgouf and it was amazing. And then the next time I popped in the pharmacy, I said, 
I tried it. And he was so happy. We were both so happy. We'd united over cooked fish, over <laughs> cuisine from Iraq. That's, That's what so I loved amazing. about Dubai. Yeah. So we, we both agree that we love food from all different cultures because you have a foot in either camp in India and the United Arab Emirates. They're both home for you and equally so. Talking about food, we all have comfort food and comfort food is normally the food that we grew up with and it's normally related to our specific culture. What is that for you? And how does that vary from your husband, let's say, who was born in India and had his formative years there? Is it different? Very different. For me, because I'm a Dubai kid, I think, okay, so my parents are from Kerala. So what we cooked at home was always Indian food and uh, rice gruel would probably be something that, um, <laughs> you know, is comfort food for me. But equally comfort food, like if I was if I was traveling somewhere and I wanted to eat something which would make me miss home less, it would probably be a shawarma or a hummus and some freshly baked bread because, you know, that is what I grew up eating. You could say it is Lebanese food. It is Lebanese food. I've never even seen Lebanese. But in the UAE, this is what is comfort food. And I still remember as a kid, we used to live across uh, the street from a couple of shawarma shops. And as a child, one of my biggest uh, dreams was to be able to finish eating one shawarma. And I still <laughs> remember the day I did it. I felt like I had achieved my life's purpose. I love that. So how does that differ from your husband? If he was going to talk about comfort food? He would most likely ask for Kerala food. For my husband, comfort food would be rice, fish curry, but it's completely different to what I would want. So I wanted to avoid talking about politics, but I also wanted to touch on this very briefly. You have friends in countries all over the world. Do you think you have more of a social conscience about what is happening globally? Yeah, definitely. Before I joined my current job, Syria was just a war-stricken country. But now five of my colleagues are from Syria. And each of them have a different story. And I know firsthand the human cost of this war. I know how the guy who sits next to me, he hasn't seen his family in almost eight years. And uh, in during that time, he's gotten married. He's, he has a kid. Uh, one of his brother, uh, he migrated to Germany. Another one is in... Georgia and he has no hopes of ever seeing them in you know like in the immediate future probably never or and, returning home very possibly yeah uh, like it, it is almost unthinkable for him and uh, he sometimes tells me when when I left home he has a younger sister my sister was just 10 and today she's a teenager she's graduating from college and all I want to do is just give her a hug, but I can't. And uh, his parents, his, his sister, he has no hopes of ever seeing them again. And 
suddenly that that war seems so personal to you so many lives are just torn apart so everything that was just a part of world news suddenly feels more personal to you because you know people and their lives are affected i mean in the uk when the lockdown was going on usually it would just be like okay uk has lockdown but now you know it's more like i'm checking with my friends christine and fayaza oh are you guys okay is is your family okay uh, how are you guys coping with it do you need any help and also like you know like in in germany when when the cases were going up my friend she's german uh, her parents are there you are worried for for her parents it does affect you more because you know people from those countries definitely now for many living in dubai life is really transient as we've just been talking about and this can sort of distort or influence our perceptions of security and stability now you yourself haven't been moving migrating from country to country you've got a, a foot in in two countries really in india where your parents are from and in uh, the united arab emirates where you were born and where you also consider home you're following the path paved by the past and that brings me back to the fact that you cannot stay in the country you were born in and that you call home and that you will possibly one day have to leave and move on does that bother you does that hang over you how have you dealt with that um when i was younger my dad initially came to dubai hoping to stay for 2 years so that he could work save up some money and then go back home um and those 2 years have become now 42 years <laughs> <laughs> so even when i was young my parents would constantly say oh you know if we have a job then then you, that that's the only you know reason we'll stay here or we'll be going back so my dad would apparently when i was younger he would say i just hope i can educate her till 7th grade over here because you know it's always there that if you lose your job you'd have to go back now things have changed a lot of people who don't have a job choose to start up a business and it's become much easier ua has made it much easier for expats wanting to stay here if they can if they want if they really want to they can they can invest and they can buy property like if you buy property worth an x amount you get a visa to stay here so there are ways but i always have it in the back of my mind that someday i might have to return and to be honest i don't hold it i mean i don't think oh you know i've spent all my life here i should be given a citizenship my parents came here knowing the country's policy all they wanted to do was give a better life for me and for their family back home and they've done that and the country's policy has never changed and also i have lived a very very secure life because i'm here and i'm able to give my kids that security because i'm here and you know when you've lived in the uae i've seen you know people walking home from the metro or from a bus station at the wee hours and you know the fear there's no fear there's no fear of anything happening because because this country is so safe and that kind of a secure life maybe it spoils you a little bit but at the end of the day i have grown up in it i'm able to give my kids that because of this country and 
it doesn't give me citizenship it's okay i'm i'm fine with it as a resident it treats me well even during covid we we're getting free uh, vaccinations it's and i don't pay taxes i don't pay anything all i'm doing is i have a job and i'm working and i'm contributing to this country and in exchange for that i'm being looked after well it's okay i'm happy with it you have two children under 10 yes uh, my right? elder one is 10 and my younger one is 8 now so regarding your children what does their future look like i don't think their future would be like mine i don't see them staying here for the rest of their lives they may i don't know but the world is changing so much things are changing people are changing they they may be flying off in any direction so my job is to equip them with whatever tools i have for a life where they can reach their full potential uh, they have a unique understanding of the world they've got their intercultural relationships and i think as our future they transcend cultural barriers don't they yes i definitely hope so so we often talk about you know our cultural differences so they know that their best friends some of them are from pakistan and you know the indian pakistani uh, you know what the countries have between them but in dubai it is non-existent because some of our closest friends are from pakistan and when we are with them it is never even in the back of our mind that oh you know we have this you know you don't even think about it you realize that there's a war when when it's in the newspaper it never affects your personal relationships and i think that's that's a great thing for for my kids as well because they know that discrimination has no place in their lives and i'm happy that i'm able to give that that kind of an outlook i really hope that the world acknowledges the attributes and the skills of third culture kids your children because i think they're great candidates for a more cohesive and a more peaceful future yes absolutely i'm 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 hopeful in fact i'm to an extent certain that the next generation is going to bring about a lot of changes Thank you very much Nazreen Abdullah it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure I could just keep talking and talking to you and Thank you so much it was such a like you've asked me so many questions which I don't think I would have thought of it but it just had me like you know really like, oh <laughs> <laughs>